Hello, 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 and welcome to today's episode of the Dreamers Succeed podcast. As you know, we are doing the Chronicles of Giving uh, during the month of November, and I am super excited about the guest who is joining us today. I'm grateful, number one, because he's taking time out of his busy schedule, and you all will understand when you hear everything that he's uh, taking care of these days, what I mean. But I, I really am so humbled and blessed not only that that I know this man not only that I get to call him a brother but just that that I I get to serve alongside of him in in a in in what is probably the most meaningful work that 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 people can do in this world which is bringing hope to children around the world so I could go on and on with a long list of credentials and accolades okay and and we'll sprinkle them throughout but I do want to introduce him and let him just bless us with with who he is so welcome Mitch Hildebrand Woo! Thank you, Berta. Wow. What a, I've never had a welcome like that from one individual before. I've, no, I've had thousands of people that haven't welcomed me like that. Hey, thank yeah. you so much, Berta. I, I so value you, your passion, and your desire to see hope brought to hard places, uh, your involvement as a member of the Global Community of Child Champions. As you know, I serve at One Child. You and I mm-hmm. met a few years ago. We're going to get into that yes. because that was something that was just orchestrated by God alone. Uh, to bring two very kindred spirits together to serve in a capacity to impact change globally. And Absolutely. I'm thrilled, 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 thrilled to get to call you my sister, call yes. you my friend, and get to spend some time with you tonight. Super humbled, Mitch. And again, I'm, I'm so grateful. I know what a busy time this is. I know how busy you are. And 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 Mitch, for all of you who don't know, is in Colorado Springs. So it's uh, it's it's almost like he's staying after work because he's uh, it's it's that time of day for him still. But but again, I'm just so grateful that you have made the time. Uh, we're going to get into a little bit about what he does for One Child Now and what he has done throughout his his career of just putting himself in a position of service. So again, this is why I call them episodes. Mitch is, Mitch is one of the most amazing human beings that I've ever met in my life. And, and again, I'm just humbled and, and tickled that you're here. And I want us to, to, bring, um, to bring the heart of, of Shar into this conversation, his wife, and, and just some amazing things that they've been doing um, for so many years around the world. And we're going to hear about all of that. So yeah, let's, let's jump right in, Mitch. So Mitch, tell me, let's, let's do the rundown, okay? okay. Mitch, Mitch comes out of high school. And then what Mitch comes out of high school in yeah. North Dakota. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was born and raised on a, on a farm and ranch up in North Dakota. So I come out of high school thinking, I'm going to be an engineer. So I go to engineering school. And, um, well, that's for anybody that, that um, has been there. They know that that's not fun. Mm-hmm. I could not see myself sitting in the corner, pounding away at a computer all day, every day. And that's really what it kind of summed up to be. Mm-hmm. Along with that, I ran out of money and couldn't continue <laughs> doing school. So I started working. And that work led me through a series of events and a series of leadership roles that landed me in Christian radio. I'd applied mm-hmm. for a job to be an assistant to help a gentleman that was orchestrating these trips where he would go out and speak at radio stations on behalf of children. But he just needed somebody to be his assistant, call and organize those trips, and he would go out and do that. Like get into radio and I happenstance fall into sales in Christian radio. And through that, that series, things evolved. And I remember one day going to my dear friend, Mark, your dear friend, Mark, yes, uh, who Mark. ran Bethesda Christian Broadcasting at the time. <laughs> and I said, Mark, I, I think that, that Charlotte and I are called to do missions work. And I was doing sales in the radio station. He was, he was dual rolling. He was doing mm-hmm. that and speaking on behalf of kids and taking teams overseas. What had happened the weekend before is Charlotte and I were sitting in church and the church did this very large offering uh, for missions work. And they play, you know, they play the video. We've all seen the video and it was a very heart touching video. It wasn't manipulative, but it was just real and raw. And she's up in the choir loft. She's a singer. When I sing, people run. So a little bit of difference (laughs) there for her and I. Like me. But she's up in the, (laughs) yeah, she's up in the choir loft and she is bawling. And I'm like, what's going on? She comes back and sits next to me. And I go, honey, what's going on? She goes, I think we're supposed to do that. Oh my and she's gosh. pointing at the screen. And I wow. said, we'll talk when we get to the car. <laughs> so she didn't know what to expect. 
What she didn't know is I had had a call, felt a call on my life since I was nine years old. (gasps) A call for Africa, much nonetheless. Since I was nine years old, I knew someday, somehow I would be in Africa. Didn't know what that meant. Didn't even think about it for all of those years. But I knew this. If I told her that, she would follow me. And I needed her to follow the Lord. So she never knew that until that very moment. I said, honey, yeah. We're supposed to do this. I've been waiting for the Lord to tell you or to confirm, <gasps> to put it on your heart that this was something important. Oh my so God. I go into, I go back to the first story. I go back to Mark at the radio station. I say, Mark, I think that I'm supposed to, you know, be involved in missions. How can you help me out? And he goes, really? Isn't that interesting? And he <laughs> leans back in Mark fashion, crosses his arms across the desk, almost puts his feet up on the desk. I'm like, seriously, Mark, this is important. This is life-changing stuff. And he's like, I know, I know, I know. Just hear me out. Let, let me speak. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And he goes, Mitch, I've been praying that someone would look towards replacing me hosting these radio events and then taking their audience members overseas. He said, so Mitch, it's the best of both worlds. You get an American salary to do something that you love and you travel overseas. And I'm oh like, sign me up. Yeah. I'm in. <laughs> Uh, And so I begin to replace him in those roles of hosting radio shows, asking people to connect with kids, sponsor kids, and then let's go meet them. Let's go do a service project in their community. Mm -hmm. So doing that for a couple of years, at that time, about two years later, Mark then assumed the role of president of One Child, the Mm -hmm. ministry here in Colorado Springs. We were living in South Dakota at the time. And uh, I then assumed the role of president of Bethesda Broadcasting. And Double and doubled up. I kept doing Bethesda Broadcasting and, and overseeing the network. We were building out a, a larger network at the time of radio stations across the upper Midwest and out to Maine and, uh, and continuing to work with radio stations around the country, just friends and partners that we'd worked with over the years. And through that series of events, I had moved down to Colorado Springs where we made our corporate office for Bethesda Broadcasting as the ministry was growing. Uh, so that I could be closer to the kind of the corporate uh, needs uh, that were more easily accessible here. And through this series of events of taking teams and taking teams and taking teams, my wife and I get to uh, Southern Africa. And the second night we are there, she always would accompany me on trips. She would help co-host with me. So we'd have to separate out. So we get to Southern Africa and we had a team of 40. So an average size wow. team for us. We'd taken up to 80, but 80 will make you lose your hair. Yeah. And at the time it was, it was, it, it, please don't take offense. It was 80 women and their children. Wow. <laughs> and, and so a little bit extra pressure. Maybe that means a little you more, come back with uh, no hair. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it, it, it grew back since then, but uh, it was, it was one of those, those transformative trips, amazing people, amazing wow. trip. Well, we land in Africa and uh, we had a team of 40 and it was 40, 40 white people were mm-hmm. too many to take to any one location. It was a little too obvious. Right. And so we broke up into teams and she would take a group. I would take a group and we'd go out and do what we we're doing at each of the hope centers at the time. And uh, maybe it was, it was, some of it was a painting project. Some of it was vacation Bible school. Some of it was just holding babies. Uh, that's quite it. honestly, one of my favorite yes, parts. Yes. Um, that and just getting down <laughs> in the red dirt, rolling around with the kids. That's Man. the best. Nothing like well, that red dirt. That's, <laughs> that's right. You've got red dirt all over you. Yeah, You've been there. Yeah, You've yeah, done that. Yes. And well, we come back at the end of the night and we debrief, right? The whole team comes back together. We debrief. What'd you guys do? What'd you guys do? And then we go to bed and Charlotte leans over to me like on night two. And she goes, this just feels like, and I looked at her and I said, home. Oh my God. And that moment like that, we knew. Wow. So we're like, okay, we have coached hundreds, if not thousands of people. Don't respond emotionally. Don't react to your vision and mission trip. You're going to go home. You're going to feel frustrated. You're going to want to sell everything and move overseas. Mm -hmm wait, (laughs) we've coached all these people that, and here we are not even heeding our own advice. We knew Mm -hmm. that we knew that we knew. Wow. We get home and the amazing thing happens is a a, a week later, my boss and I have a one-on-one, the president of Bethesda, our overarching organization Mm -hmm. designed as as business for benevolence, a beautiful design. And so if you are a business owner, this is a beautiful design. Create a business with the design and intent that its purpose is to be benevolent, to give corporate philanthropy, to sow back into a cause, a mission bigger than yourself that's going to mm-hmm. outlive you. Like well, I have my one-on-one with him. His name is Dana. Mm-hmm. And I love this man. But Dana looks at me across the table and he goes, how was your trip? I said, oh, it was good. And he goes, you're moving to Africa, <gasps> aren't you? 
Just like that. And I, w- I just looked at him. My eyes got big. My mouth drops. <laughs> he starts crying. I start crying. I said, yes, I am. I just don't know any details. I haven't talked to anybody yet. I haven't even talked to my pastor friends. And um, Oh, my goodness, Mitch. He, he, he knew. He could tell. He could tell. And he said, okay, it's okay. We got plenty of time. Let's start finding your replacements. And, and a year later, we were on the ground. Oh, we were on the ground goodness. serving full-time in Southern Africa. Well, we spent six years there, all included, but at, at year and a half mark, I fell sick with what we assumed was appendicitis. Mm-hmm. I go into uh, the local hospital. I had a nurse on staff that was an American nurse that was a missionary serving with us, and I had taken over the ministry for Southern Africa. So we had about 6,000 kids wow. in our care. And I got to wow. tell you, I loved those kids. Yeah, And I love those kids because... Because my wife and I couldn't have any. And we pursued and tried and tried and tried to have them. So if you've ever gone through um, through in vitro, through all of the testing, all of that, that hope kind of diminished mm-hmm. from not having the ability to reach what you believe is a, a dream or a vision God's given you, I understand. And we, uh, we walked that journey. About year eight of our marriage, uh, year seven, year eight of our marriage, we said, okay, let's start pursuing adoption. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of our friend's boys at the age of 16 had a girlfriend that was at the age of 16, and they fell pregnant. And uh, so we were introduced to them, told what was happening, and we said, we're in. We'll mm-hmm. pay for everything. If you guys need or want open adoption, uh, we're happy to do that at the right time for this child mm-hmm. so that they understand. And um, they said, okay. And... Um, couple months in, they changed their mind and they decided to have an abortion. Oh my God. And so, you know, you go, God, you gave me this promise and I'm walking out this promise and you've taken it away. And then the promise is, okay, here's another promise. Here's a child we can adopt. And he's taken it away. And that's, that's our small minds ways of looking mm-hmm. at this. That's mm-hmm. not what happens at all. Yeah. And so we, we experienced that. <laughs> uh, uh, and so we continued on and went, okay, I guess it's just not now. It's just not right little shaking of the faith, a little rattling. Mm-hmm. But um, that then led to our missions experience and then getting on the ground. And on the ground, um, we thought, well, maybe we'll adopt over here. Well, we were in a kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Swaziland, now known mm-hmm. as Eswatini. And the month we arrived, the king bans all international <laughs> adoptions. <laughs> like, seriously, God, wow. what are you yes. trying to tell us here? Yes. And, and if he could have, if he would have spoke audibly, I think he'd have said, I'm telling you exactly what you're seeing. Yeah. And that is you have 6,000 kids. Right yes. Now. Yes. And so those 6,000 kids were ours. Yeah. And uh, he just, he loaned them to us. Like he loans us uh, our spouses and loans us everything mm-hmm. else in this world. It's all his anyway. Yeah. So a year and a half in, I fall sick. And uh, again, back to what was supposed to be appendicitis. The nurse on staff said, yeah, you'll be fine to have that surgery right here in the kingdom of Swaziland. So I have the surgery and uh, I wake up and I was supposed to have a scar about four inches on my right side. Mm-hmm. And I wake up and I've got a railroad track down from, uh, from top of my chest down to the bottom and a scar and railroad track on my right side. And I'm like, well, that was either one big appendix or something. Wow. Happened. <laughs> oh my goodness. And, wow. and what was amazing to me is I, I, I wake up and I'm not mad. I'm just like, well, what happened here? So Charlotte tells me, oh, when they were in there taking out your appendix, the doctor says they found a tumor. So they removed it. And I'm like, awesome. Go God. You stumbled across a tumor in my abdomen that we would have never known about. So they sent it off to pathology. But unfortunately, I wasn't prepped for such a surgery because it it involved um, cutting part of the, um, uh, the the colon apart okay. and then putting it back together. An anastomosis, it's called. Well, I wasn't prepared for that internally or mentally, and um, things went south. Uh, I fell very sick and went septic because <clears throat> the the putting back together of those pieces didn't work. Oh so everything that was inside was just moving around inside, right. which made me very sick went septic. A week later, I'm still in the hospital. I should have been home and back to serving kids by then. And I'm getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And I'm having a hard time breathing. I'm starting to get pneumonia. Wow. And the doctor comes in and says, look, we don't have a CAT scan in this country that we can get you to. And even if we did, it's either a pleural effusion or it's you're going septic and we can't treat that level of care. We have to get you across the border. So it took an extra day to get a, a medical visa to get across the border, get across the border. They start treating me 
uh, 13 surgeries later and um, oh uh, six months in the hospital, uh, four of those in a coma and on the ventilator and on machines to keep me alive, 13 pints of blood, a whole bunch of issues. Uh, we find out that the, the tube that goes from my kidney to my bladder gets severed. So that's pouring in. Uh, they have to reroute my intestines to the surface so I get a colostomy bag because that other tube was cut, I get a nephrostomy bag. So I had more plumbing than Lowe's hard. Wow. It was ridiculous, oh my right? That's crazy. And Mitch. so we're going through that thing, finally getting to a point where we can get healed, but the they have to close the abdom abdominal wound, mm -hmm. uh, but they couldn't reverse anything because everything gets really angry, they said, when you work with the intestines that much. So they had to let it settle down for a while. So they wanted to do a skin graft. So they did a skin graft, carved the skin off my leg, put it on my abdomen to close everything up dug too deep on the skin graft of my leg and carved into the uh, the pores and all the other the, the glands underneath it. And finally, I get to go back to Swaziland <clears throat> to recuperate. Amazing story. A year and a half earlier, right after we got to the country, a missions team came through. And on that team was a gentleman named, uh, I'm just going to call him Jason, because uh, mm -hmm. I can't technically talk about his name. He was serving in the armed forces and he had just gotten out of the military after several tours in Iraq. His specialty was abdominal surgeries <gasps> for Iran and Iraq war vets. Oh, my goodness. So we reach out to him while I'm sick, and he says, I'll put together the restoration plan. Let me know how things are going. He starts consulting with my doctor in Africa. We go home. We get healed up. We fly back to the States. We fly straight to him uh, that, uh, later that same year. And he puts together a plan to put Humpty Dumpty back together wow. again. Go see our family. Go do a go. Go spend two months uh, fundraising and touring and, and contacting people to get involved in the ministry because our days aren't over with that ministry. Mm -hmm. We knew it. Yeah. Um, and so he puts together the plan. We fly back to him. He brings the surgeons together. He brings the CFO of the hospital. We sit down around a table, and the hospital goes, "Okay, how much money do you have?" And I'm like, uh, "We got like 22 grand from a fundraiser we held." for medical needs, and that's it. And, and the exact number escapes me, so I'm giving you estimates. All right. And, and the guy holds his arms out like he's measuring a fish that he didn't catch, and he's got his arms out about four feet across the table, puts them down on the edge of the table. He goes, okay, this whole thing is going to cost about 300 and something thousand to do this. Wow. He goes, uh, but Dr. Jason, is your paperwork going to make it to my desk? He goes, nope, it's lost. And he starts bringing his hands closer and closer and closer <laughs> together to minimize the amount that's going to be due. And he looks at the other doctor and he goes, Dr. H, is your paperwork going to make it? He goes, nope. And so-and-so that's sitting here, he works with this, or this company that has, um, well, not to be gross, but pigskin. Yeah. They use pigskin to help close massive mm -hmm. wounds and put underneath there so I wouldn't have hernias and problems. Mm -hmm. And the guy goes, well, clinically, this is going to be the largest piece of pigskin our, or our company has ever put together for somebody. Um, but wow. if I can, I just looked at him, I said, yes, because I knew where he's going. <laughs> if I can sit in and watch and document and use this as a case study, I'll donate it. It's 80,000 grand for a piece of pigskin. Remember, oh I grew goodness. up on a farm and ranch. Yeah. <laughs> Pigs aren't worth 80 grand. So we said, yes, yes, yes. They said they're going to lose their paperwork. He brings it down. He goes, and Mitch, we're just going to charge you the Medicare rate. So you're going to owe us about 18000 That'll give you enough to get your tickets back home. That is unbelievable. And we unbelievable. just bawled, just wept. We're like, let's go to surgery. Wow. Go to surgery, put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Uh, a couple weeks later, we head back across the ocean and, um, and, and begin serving, continuing to serve. Uh, during that time, we transitioned a little bit. Same ministry, same people group. We bought a macadamia farm. Mm -hmm. so that it would, with a couple other ministries, so that it would generate revenues and generate jobs, generate revenues to create local income sources to feed local kids, generate jobs to employ local people. Amazing. Um, and then upon moving back to America, we turned that over to the other ministries. They're still going strong, still pr continuing to pr produce, still continuing to feed and love kids, still employing local laborers still growing and expanding that. It's now a place where people come for camps, where they wow. bring kids for kids' camps. And we get back to America. And what's interesting is I had communicated with my dear friend and partner. His name is Ron, Pastor mm -hmm. Ron. He's who we hired to help with a church plant I was part of then, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I would email him every couple of weeks. And two, three days later, he, he would email me back. He's not a high-tech guy, was never really fast on the computer. Well, I had emailed him um, Four, just over four years ago. And I said, hey, Ron, we're looking at coming back uh, back to the States. Our season here is kind of done. The model is working. 
and either we commit to making that model work again or we come back. And at the time, Charlotte's mother was was um, aging and, and ailing mm-hmm. a little bit, and uh, we knew we wanted to be closer to family, nieces and nephews kind of growing up. We'd missed kind of some pretty instrumental years for them. We were there six years wow. in total. And moments later, after I emailed Ron, he emails me back. He says, Mitch, I was just praying that you that somebody would come alongside and help me at the church. I need a co-pastor. <gasps> Oh my God. So we come back to America, uh, co-pastor the church with my dear brother, Ron, for just over three, three and a half years. And at that time, I meet you, That's, Berta. I met you. Yes. Maybe you can tell how that happened. Yes. And, 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 and Mitch, I, I love that you, that you took me back. And I don't care how many times I hear the story. There's always something, some new detail that I didn't hear the time before. And, and I'm, I just always get full of goosebumps because it's that, it's that, and, and Mitch, you and I have had this conversation many times that, that trust in, in what God has the plans that he has for us. And, and in knowing that even when we don't know, he knows he's got us. And I, and I always tell people, listen, it's like you're playing chess and, and you're thinking, you know, even the best of chess players might be thinking seven steps ahead (laughs) and he's way over there, a hundred steps ahead, just saying, come on. I got you. I've got you. He's such a good shepherd, right? The word of God says that he goes before us. So if he goes before us, why are we all panicked and worried about anything? Anything. My circumstances and my situations have no impact because those are based out of my feelings and feelings are so often false. Mm -hmm. And so either we walk in the spirit or we walk in the flesh. And I got to tell you, that's a hard balance, right? Because everything around me shows me I should walk in the spirit, in the flesh, Mm -hmm. but everything in me tells me I must walk in the spirit. Yes. Yes. But I got to meet you now almost four years ago, just about four years ago. Yeah. Just about four years ago. It's hard to believe it's been that long. So we had just started uh, the, the one child board and, and, and Mitch came on and, and I had, I, I I'd met you before when I went to a Hills Alive and went to a service yes. that you were, yeah. that you were, that you were leading in your, in your church. And, and just, it just felt like I knew you immediately, not only because of the, the love that Mark and Dee were pouring to every word that followed the words, you know, Mitch and Char, but just this, this, this servant's heart this this love for mission and this passion for understanding that it is possible you know you didn't have a clue and you're sitting there with mark and thinking you know that's what we're supposed to do and the calling came to char and you'd known for such a long time and you you weren't worried about the how you knew that the way would be made if you were just faithful to the calling yeah. And 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 to have gone through a trial like that with your health and something that must have been so it's scary to go through it here. Imagine going through that when you're, you know, thousands of miles away from home and in a in a country that doesn't have the 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 medical facilities that we're used to here. And we still worry yeah. about that stuff. And right. yeah, and and so we met and just it was immediate. And I think, Mitch, one of the things that really blew me away from you was just that there's this this calm faith-filled subtle but there's a fire going on in there and even as you were sharing the story now and I'm looking at your face on the screen that excitement so many years ago that you you came into that conversation with Mark and Mark is there and you're like a little kid in a candy store so excited (laughs) that's still what you were bringing into the boardroom, that kid in the candy store of knowing the possibility. And, and listen, and we'll talk about one child in a minute, but that, that, that knowing that, that the mission isn't, isn't easy because we're going into places that are hard and bringing Mm -hmm. hope into these hard places, but it is impossible to remove yourself from all that is possible when you have been there. And when you have walked in the, like you said, in the, in the red sand and, and felt the, the hearts of these children that are just full of hope 
and full yeah. of and 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 Mitch, I think we had this conversation earlier. And and what I love is that you you fathered those six thousand children that you had in Swaziland, and now yeah. you're fathering <laughs> what thirty almost forty thousand forty two thousand forty two thousand you know that they you are have my to, kids. Those are your kids. And I know yeah. that you see it that way. And I love that you see it that way because there's a there's a there's a, a personal commitment to each and every child. And that's what I love yeah. about one child. These are not, you know, kids that okay, we're bundling them up and this is Hope Center has this many kids. No, these are, you know, each of these children are our children. So Berta, I so love the last, well, the last three and a half years we served on the board together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think what, what maybe connected us is we, we tend to both be pretty eternal optimists, which I think is, <laughs> yes, is yes. healthy and helpful, but mm -hmm. not everybody who's sitting in those environments yeah. <laughs> is. You, you kind of need both sides to balance, but ah, they're wrong. Yeah. We were right. Um, but we, we always were able to spin that narrative to the positive side. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's always, I don't care what your circumstance is. There is still something positive you can find in that to look to. Yeah. If you can't, you can just look to God knowing that he works it all for good, that yes. your trust in him can be built on nothing than anything. And, mm -hmm. and when you, when you do that, when you get to that point where you just go, there is nothing good about this, then you can say, okay, God, how are you going to use this specific thing for my good and for your glory? And that's Amen. kind of the, the model that we've walked, we've walked out just knowing that God's in this. God has not forgotten about the vulnerable, about the orphan, about the widow. Mm -hmm. So why should we? Right. And that's what the, really drives us forward is this knowing that we care about justice, that we mm -hmm. care about seeing change impacted in people's lives, that we care about seeing kids have hope for a better future. So at One Child, uh, we, we do care for 42,000 kids in 14 mm -hmm. different countries with the help of a global community of child champions. Mm -hmm. That means the, the, the supporter and sponsor here in America that sponsors one child, five children, 10 children. That means the corporate business that supports us financially or gets their people involved through matching grants. That means the donor advised fund or the, the foundation that's helping to support the operations of the organization. Mm -hmm. That means the church partner that is, that is engaging with their congregation to get kids sponsored the recording Christian recording artist, the radio station on this side of the pond. And it means everybody from the caregivers, the family, the, the national and country directors to the regional directors that serve in this ministry together. It's not about us telling them what to do. What makes one child so unique and so beautiful is our agility, our agility to go into this crazy hard space that nobody else will go because they've been there and they said, oh, it'd be too hard for us to do anything here. Mm -hmm. And we go, that's where we're going to be because that's where God <laughs> calls us to be yes. is in the most wicked hard spot you can imagine. Yeah. Why? Because everybody else has said no yeah. and we have to say yes. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't long ago, our uh, country director in the Philippines contacted us And it brought the president of this organization, Scott Todd, Dr. Scott Todd, and I really to our knees. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, I'm talking about all these times I cry. Well, we were crying again. Mm -hmm. And um, here, here's kind of the brief part of the story was, hey, guys, I know we're not able to grow right now. In fact, we're shrinking a little bit due to what has happened with COVID this mm -hmm. year. And we're not able to get kids sponsored. We brought all these kids in. We committed to them. We're honoring that commitment. We're scratching and scrambling to get the donations needed to honor those kids until we can find them a sponsor, but we're not going to turn one child away. Mm -hmm. So she says, but I know this has happened, but, and we're like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> but there's these 172 kids in this remote tribal village on an island off the shore in the Philippines that are desperate. <gasps> They, it is the worst of the worst. We have to do something. And we're like, we, we can't. We really can't. You know the answer is no. It doesn't grow. We can't grow right now. We're shrinking. And she says, look, I'll do anything. What's it going to take? You know, can I solicit for extra help and support? And we're like, it doesn't fit the model right now. The numbers are telling us this. And she says, I'll give up my salary. Oh, my God. And Scott and I look at each other and go, numbers be damned. Yeah. We have to do this. Mm -hmm. And I looked at him. And he looked at me. And I said, God will make a way where we see no way. That's it. So we do that. And then we just start, we start contacting people and telling them this, this, this story about this passionate woman. That's a global community member. That's truly a child champion. Yeah. I can't even call myself a child champion if she's in the room. And because of our great admiration and respect of her, her name is Manette. Mm -hmm. Manette is 
phenomenal woman of God. Wow. And she knew that this is what God had put on her heart. She shared that with us and was persistent. Yes. Uh, and we finally said, numbers be damned. We're doing mm-hmm. this. Start making some phone calls. First phone call, three months funding for those kids. Wow. That weekend, Scott goes walking with his pastor, goes for a hike with his pastor, tells him the story. And the pastor goes, we have to do something. We're going to sponsor all of those kids. This coming weekend is the sponsorship service where they're trying to sponsor all of those kids. Oh, my goodness. You see how God does this? We had no growth strategy. We were in ICU trying to limp along so that we can bring operational stability. Mm -hmm. And we grew amidst (laughs) COVID. We start reaching out to other donors throughout the summer saying, hey, we just dispersed a quarter million dollars of food aid and we've drained our reserves and we need help. Finances are coming in at a higher level, 38% higher than any year previous. It's amazing. Now we're not able to get kids sponsored, but God made a way where there was Mm -hmm. no way. He balanced out one side with the other. Yes. As the churches prayerfully will start opening up again soon, Mm -hmm. we're going to start seeing more kids sponsored. We have 8,300 kids we need to get sponsored in the next 11 months. And I believe we're going to be able to do that. We have operational stability we need to meet. We have initiatives we're trying to grow so that we can expand so we can see exponential growth a year from now. Mm -hmm. We've got to get through and sustain this year. Right. And so there's so much happening. And we just look at how God balances that Mm -hmm. out. It's a stool with multiple legs. Yes. And when one leg is shaved off a little bit, we can still balance on the others. That's it. And that's the beauty of what God's been doing through mm-hmm. one child. Mm-hmm. And so I would just want to encourage and probably challenge, because I'm not afraid of asking, neither are you, Berta. That's right. If you're listening to this and you want to make an impact on the world, Berta's going to make sure you know how to do that. It's through onechild.org or through your website, Berta. I know you've got mm-hmm. us linked yep. right there on your website. Yeah. It's on the bottom of every one of your emails that I see. Yes. It's, yes. it's talking about making an eternal difference in the lives mm-hmm. of kids, giving them hope so they can dream again. And hope yeah. is that vision of a better future. Yeah. And that's what we want to see kids have. Yeah. And we think sometimes, oh, I know I've got it so tough. But you know what? Compared to the world, man, we've got it cushy. Yeah. And it's... we can make a, such a huge impact. Berta, I really believe in my lifetime, before I go spend eternity with Jesus, that I'm going to see no more kids impacted yeah. by global extreme poverty. Global yeah. extreme poverty uh, would put people at $1.90 a day or less wow. in, in our terms, wow. in our financial terms. I believe that the hundreds of thousands that live there now, if we do this well, and we do this starting right now, immediately, mm-hmm. urgently, mm-hmm. everything changes one generation from now. That's Two crazy. generations from now, it's gone. It doesn't. We no longer have that burden. We'll still have poor, but not below the the, the extreme global poverty right. levels. Right. That's within our reach. That's what's attainable. The sad thing is, is COVID has put us back a few years, mm-hmm. but we can make that stride back up with people's help. Absolutely. And I believe that to be very possible in yours and my lifetime. Absolutely. And I and I see that, Mitch. And I and I think what I what I love and one of the early conversations that we had was was that you don't know what this one child and 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 listen, it's three or four lattes, right? Um it is the $39 or the $45, depending on the option that you go with that it that it that it costs to sponsor a child uh, monthly, that, that monthly pledge to the child. Very little we can do with $39 here almost, but to them, it means everything. And, and yeah. when you talk about hope, I remember that when I received Sipao's first letter and Sipao was, was people in my community know him well. Uh, they, they ask me about Sipao before they're asking me about my kids. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and Sipao now has a, a, a nice, um, family built throughout the world of brothers and sisters um, that that we've been fortunate enough to sponsor. I'm nowhere near where my goal is, but when when Sipao first came to me, he was he was five years old, and and all he wanted was a cow for his dad because the Maasai, as you know, they yeah. their their livelihood is is in their livestock. So I don't know one child from Adam. I had signed up for the Killy trip. Um, I barely knew anyone. They just knew I was a climber. One of the one of the twenty three that went on that first uh, mission trip that was the Killy climb. And and I do want to talk to you about that because I want to see what's going to happen there in the future. And um, 
And, and it was interesting because I received his first letter and I thought there's no way I'm going to fundraise. I'm just not, a, I'm not good at asking for money. I'm just going to pay, ask my husband to, I'm going to pay for the trip and I'm going to ask my husband to, you know, do the whole donation, which was, you know, enough to get Sipao from five years old to high school, yeah. all his educational, nutritional and medical attention uh, that he needed. So I get this first letter in this picture of Sipao at five years old. And I thought, listen, I can't keep this to myself. I need to invite people to be a part of this transformation that is going to happen to this, just changes generations of, of poverty with just the ability for him to get an education. So Sipao sends his first letter and he tells me he's been praying for a cow for his baba. And, and I'm like, listen, can we get this kid a cow? I called Jack at the time. And he's yeah. like, listen, Berta, we don't do that. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. Like in his letter, he's saying that he's praying for a cow. And there's and he, persistent Berta. Yeah, he's like, listen, we, we don't do that. We, we focus on child sponsor. And I said, listen, who can I talk to? that can make this happen because it's not about the cow. I want this child to know that his prayers are being answered. And if that's what I'm reading in his letter, you better bet that I'm going to do whatever it takes. Just <laughs> connect me with someone in the country. So then Jack, you know, and we really, really gelled since the beginning because I think it was, I was that, you know, annoying Cuban. Right. And, um, <laughs> So he calls me and he says, hey, listen, we were able to find someone and we got a cow. It's going to be $265. And I said, what? $265? Can I get him two? <laughs> and he's like, listen, yeah. you're pushing it. And I said, listen, if, if we can get him one, we can probably get him two. And, and, and they facilitated. I was so grateful because I know that that's not within the scope. And, and yeah. uh, by the time that I made it to Africa, you know, his, his, you know, Chadrack, who, who was always the one that was, was getting him to and from Imardi, um, you know, showed me a picture. He said, you haven't received these yet, but we sent these in the mail to you, the picture of him with his two cows. So now Sipao's family, who it's, it's him and his parents and his, and his siblings and his uncle and his children and his wife, they live on like a, like a big plot with the grandma in the middle, who's my hero. I love her. And, and it was funny because now those cows have turned into, you know, they have seven cows and I sent them a couple of goats. We did a, a, a drive and, and, um, and, and everything that's left over, they are just blessing the community yeah. and those people who don't have, they're just paying it forward. They're just, and you would think, you know, they, but so Sibao went from, you know, when I first got his, he wanted to be a lawyer, you know, this five-year-old little boy and, and Sibao <laughs> just turned 12 in, in August. And, and two years ago, his, his, you know, his career choice changed and he wants to be a pastor. Come on. Yeah. So now I'm saying number one, there's someone in his life who is a pastor that is really making an impact in, in, in the life that they're breathing into him. And number two, wh what is he probably going to do when he yeah, grows up? Look at the up? lives he's going to impact. Yeah. Look at the lives he's going to impact. And we don't know. We're not, I'm, I always say, listen, we're, we're in charge of this. You know, we hear it all the time. We're in charge of the planting. God is going to take care of the harvest, but, That's but right. the more we're planting, the the greater the harvest is going to be. And that's, you know, we can't take it with us is what I always say. And, um, and, and then it just becomes sort of this, this mission where, where my friends and my family members for my birthday, they'll send me a picture of someone. They just, Hey, look at what I got you for your birthday. And it's a child that they sponsored. And that to me is the greatest gift. Um, and, and the greatest uh, just blessing that they could bestow upon me because they know that it means so much that I know the impact that they're going to make. And it's all just like what we're doing, Mitch, just sharing the story of, of how those, and I always say, I will never in a million years be able to, to give to these children anything near what I'm getting from them. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. I remember getting, you know, when, when we first started sponsoring kids 18 years ago, uh, you get those first couple of letters and you're like, mm -hmm. oh, how cute is that? How sweet is that? And you send a letter back and, <laughs> and you just encourage them. Because what do you, you know, yes. what do I say to a kid in another culture? I'm, yes. off the, I'm off the ranch in North Dakota. I don't have any yeah. clue about culture at the right. time. And so I wrote letters. And on my first trip to the Dominican Republic, this, my little sponsored boy comes running up to me down the street. And we were in a community called See If You Can Get Out. 
And the name of that community was for two ways, two reasons. One, because there's hopelessness there and nobody leaves that community. They stay there. And two, the streets are really weird and wonky and make different turns. But he comes running up to me and he goes, Meech, Meech, Meech. And that's about the only English he knew. So the translator, our our field director there, um, grabs the little boy and says, what's, you know, we've lined up a meeting for you to meet with him. And I'm like, oh, this is so great. He's real. He's real. (laughs) He's real. real And you're real. And you're real to him, you know, which is huge. So there's this this thing happening between both of us that just instantly (laughs) draws you deeper. And not everybody gets to meet their sponsored child. But here's what was amazing is this was about a a year or two into um, writing letters back and forth. And he comes up to me and he pulls out of his back pocket. And our letter, our letter stock used to be this blue color. Mm-hmm. And he pulls this piece of tattered blue thing out of his back pocket. And you could tell it had gotten wet. It was ripped. It was torn. He unfolds it really carefully. And he, and he goes on to tell me, every night I read this. And all it was was me just saying, I believe in you. I'm praying for you. I'm trusting that oh, God's going to do in you what he's done for me. I mean, that was as simple as the message was, but because it was quite possibly the only voice in his household or in his community that was speaking life to him, he found value in that. The spirit connected him to that. And and so it was tattered. And so I said, I need to get you a new letter, first of all. And second of all, let me hug you and love you and let you know how valuable you are. Because what you don't understand, young man, is you are valuable. You are highly favored by God and by me. And by so many people back in America, and we're believing wow. for you. We're believing you, and we're rooting you on. And and we kept up through till uh, till he left the program. I think at age seventeen, wow. uh, as he graduated the program and went on. One of my girls in Ethiopia went on to be a school teacher. Oh, uh, we goodness. recently found her. She's now 23, 24 years old. And so I look at the impact that they have had over the years in just my short lifespan mm-hmm. of involvement, and then I go back. 60 years when this all started. Oh my goodness. And the that were there. I look at Marcus Rickson, who runs Rickson Entertainment Group, mm-hmm. who, who this entertainment group uh, manages and promotes for Christian recording artists, Jackie Velasquez, Selah, a number mm-hmm. of others, Mark Schultz. And Marcus, who lives in Nashville, manages all these big Christian recording artists and is a dear brother to you and me. Yes. Was once a sponsored child in Calcutta, yeah. India. Yeah. And I just go, anything is possible. Marcus just any dream is attainable. But yours and my job today, today before today ends, is to make sure that another child has that dream met. It's $39 a month. You sponsor a child, you love them, you encourage them, you write them letters, you ask them about their family, you tell them about your dog, and you Mm -hmm. trust that God's gonna do for them all that he's done for you. I cannot find, I, I like investments and I cannot find an investment that has right. a better ROI than Never. sponsoring a child because you change their life for eternity. Yeah. Because what you're doing is your part. You're giving them an avenue to have hope fulfilled. Mm-hmm. What they're doing is rocking your life yeah. by bringing you to an understanding of what a global community looks like, mm-hmm. what unity in the body of Christ globally, outside the walls of your church building, what that looks like. Yeah. It will transform your life, most likely more than it will theirs. Yes, absolutely. And I, I've heard that from everyone that 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 has sponsored. I see it in ourselves. You know, my yeah. granddaughter Chloe was, I think she was four when she sponsored her first little uh, Gloria. And Gloria was four at the time, and and they've they've grown up together. You know, Gloria just turned nine. Chloe will be nine this month, and they've seen each other grow up. And the, the interesting thing, Mitch, I think, which which makes one child different as well, is that when there's this opportunity to travel, that 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 opportunity to actually meet your sponsored child, which changes the world for them completely. We we were in Cambodia a couple of years ago, and um, we had. Uh, you know, I had a child, George had a child, and then we were visiting and getting to meet the all of our cousins and, and our friends that had sponsored children there. So we're in, we're in one of the Hope Centers on a Sunday morning. And, and George's uh, daughter, we call them our kids, uh, Somnang, is I could see her in this circle. They were doing like a Bible study circle. And I, and I saw her in there. And George, we're talking to other, you know, 
people that were working. There were pastors, there were teachers that were just hanging out. And we started talking to these two young men, uh, final year in university, both of them, and just really speaking great English, talking about how they had been in the program themselves and they had graduated out of the program. Now they were in college and had great lives that they were breathing life into the program again, they came back and served either as teachers or as mentors for these children, or they're working within the Hope Center somehow to, to just give back and, and they're volunteering. So we're, we're talking to these kids and we had already, we'd probably been having a conversation for 30 minutes. And um, so, so I'm pointing, I'm pointing at, at George and, and, and one of the gentlemen, one of the kids asks George, he goes, you know, do you have a kid here. And he goes, yeah, I'm waiting for my daughter and she's in that crowd, but I don't want to interrupt them. But, but my wife already, That's you know, good. made her out. And he said, and he said, oh, really, what's her name? And I said, her name is Somnang. And the kid just balls. And he goes, that's oh. my sister. Come on. So yes. Sundays, they, there were, there were five siblings. So the four older siblings would come and spend the day with her at this because she was in the high school where they're they're living in the high school and they'd all graduated from the program and and we lo- I mean we lost it and then we we you couldn't break us apart the entire time that we were there we were all just huddled together like this whole little family and I can't tell you what that did for us like what a what a what a tremendous gift for us to know that the, and they they sat there, Mitch, and they were praying over us. And they, every letter that we get, she mentions her brothers and her sister who were there visiting and that they always remember. We took a bunch of pictures and mailed it back to them w- with our next letter. But and and Somnam is is about to graduate. She'll graduate next year. And I'm thinking, you know, whatever. It's, it's just real. It's real. And, and, and the fact that, that it exists, that we can do that. And like you said, Mitch, in a couple of generations, and you know what, that third generation is not going to even believe when they hear the stories that that kind of poverty existed. It's like my great grandmother's stories about the great depression. It's going to be that far removed. And I I Mm -hmm. cannot wait for that to happen. Absolutely. But it it takes us doing what we need to do today for that to happen. And so it's, it's kind of, it's, it's really the ultimate pay it forward. Mm-hmm. It's a pay it forward where you're never going to see the result, the, right. the overall overarching mm-hmm. result, mm-hmm. but you can have the hope too, yeah. that it's going to change because it will just like our kids have the hope that their lives are going to change mm-hmm. because they will. Uh, and that's, that's what I love about you, Berta. What people that may not be able to see this and only mm-hmm. listen to this don't know is you and I have been wiping our eyes oh, all yeah. this interview. <laughs> This is something that is deep within us. And I think it's deep within a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, you know, they think of child sponsorship. They think of, oh, somebody's going to grab a kid with kind of a boogery face and flies flying around and set it on this lap and guilt you into something. No, this is exactly the opposite of that. When you come on board with one child, you're, you're joining a global community of child champions. Everything we do is so that the child will thrive. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you're part of a greater collective. There's that old story about the starfish, right? Little boy on the beach, grabs a starfish, chucks it in the water, grabs another one. Old man says, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to save these starfish. He goes, well, you can't save them all. He goes, well, I can this one. He throws it in the water, right? And the beach is full. He's never going to get through it. Let's modernize that. And Dr. Scott Todd did. He said, little boy on the beach takes out his smartphone, takes a picture of a starfish, throws it in the water. Old man comes up, says, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm going to save all these starfish. He goes, no way you are, kid. He goes, yeah, I am. I'm tweeting the call to action right now. And all of a sudden, and he goes, and if you want to help, grab a starfish. And all of a sudden, all of his friends come from all over the place. And so we go from being individual-centric to global-centric. And what what I mean by global-centric is now everybody has a part to play. And we can truly see movement in eradicating the impact of global extreme poverty on children, especially. COVID has caused uh, online sexual exploitation of children in the Philippines alone to increase by 300%. We have to do more and we have to do it now. We we have heard the stories. We help operate and we help uh, fund a Happy Horizons Children's Ranch. It's a home for rescue and rehabilitation for girls in the Philippines part of one of the outreaches that we do with the ministry. They, they can't keep up. There's so much need to get girls out of this situation. 
to get girls rescued, to get girls to a place of rehabilitation. We're seeing that happen in almost every country right now. That online availability, you might think that the bush of Africa doesn't have internet access. There's still a cell phone that reaches into the bush of Africa. Right. And they'll, that families are sharing cell phones and figuring out how to transfer monies. It's not hard anymore. Right. All these great advancements we've made in technology, there's a bad side to those great advancements too. And mm-hmm. we're seeing that realized globally. Mm-hmm. And so the more we can bring a, a child into a safe place, knowing that they have people around them that love them, knowing that they can be comfortable talking about situations at home and in their community, knowing that that's what's going to change things, knowing that those kids are safe, those kids aren't having to make those hard decisions because mom and dad who are day laborers who have been let go due to country lockdowns and have no source of income, have no choice but to prostitute their own kids, knowing that that doesn't happen to our kids, knowing that that's not going to happen to any more kids. That's, that's the greatest part about what we're doing. But the hardest part about what we're doing, the other side of that coin is there's more kids that need to be reached. I can't imagine that, that what's hurting our hearts isn't hurting God's. And so I, I, I will on my deathbed be telling people, you can still do more. And I think we can. And I think it's, it's not just me by myself doing it. It's when we group together, when we band together to save every starfish, to save and rescue and help every child to have their dreams reached, to have that potential, that hope attained. That's when we see real change. That's lasting change. It's amazing, Mitch. I love that. And I love, I love your, your passion for, for the kids. I feel it. I I think, like I said, you and I just connected right away. And and I know that this is a, a a family. Uh, I I know that Shar is right there and she's, she's just, you, you, you just have such a beautiful, like I said, a heart for service and putting yourself always in a position whether it's comfortable or not, just because you know what we have, we have, we know that it's within our reach and we know that the hope is there and we know that it's possible above everything else. And, and even amidst the, the COVID that we've had this year, I think I'm, I'm more hopeful than I've ever been. And I, you know, you and I are pretty hopeful, but, uh, but I'm, I, I came back from, from our last trip, just a little more fired up about, about, even when people may not have that excuse right now to see the possibility, it's just more, yeah. more attainable than ever. And I think if, if you're part of a church and your church isn't doing something, reach out, let us know. We mm-hmm. want to talk to your pastor. If you're a part of a business and your business isn't doing something, reach out, let us know. We want to mm-hmm. talk to whoever's making those decisions within your organization. You can help steer that. We need your help to do it. That's the, that's step one. And then you start joining the family. Join the family of child champions as we change the world together. That's it. I love it. Thank you, my brother, Mitch. Thank you, my you sister. God bless just you. An inspiration, folks. Uh, I'm gonna put all the information that you need uh, to to connect with Mitch if you if you can, and also to find out more about One Child at OneChild.org. But again, I'll have all the links with this podcast. Mitch, you're you're a tremendous blessing. And I am grateful for you every day. God bless you. Love you too. God bless you and kisses to Char. Okay, folks, uh, you heard it here. So go out there and 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 let's let's do some good and let's get some some kiddos sponsored and and let's let's really focus on on how we can change the world for them. And it's very easy for us to do it. We just have to set the intention into motion to to make a difference. Okay. Amen. All right. Love you. Thank you all. Have a good one.